With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly, welcoming you on board to this special Formula One summer break edition. It's been a quiet summer here so far for me, but I have been able to take a little bit of time off of work every now and again to enjoy the, well, <laughs> I wouldn't say the summer weather here on the west coast of Canada. It's been a little bit wet and damper than usual and cooler than usual, I might add, but still we've had some nice warm summer days every now and again and hey, it's just nice to get a little bit of uh, free time and get away from work, even if it's just for a couple of days. And we're still a couple of weeks away from the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa-Francorchamps. And as normal for this time of year, the news tends to get a little bit quiet and the stories tend to spread out a little bit more than usual. But we can circle back and talk about uh, what's happened over the course of the first half of the, the Formula One season. Well, actually, it's more than uh, halfway. Uh, we've uh, got 12 races under our belts so that means we're actually on the downside of the formula one season once we get back to racing here but still it's going to be a long ride until we get to abu dhabi at the end of november and then we really head into the dark (laughs) time of the year it really is quiet and i miss formula one as i'm sure every one of you uh, does as well once we go into the off season into the winter and well let's not think about that uh, too much but anyways like i was saying i I think that this is the perfect time of the year just to rehash the the first dozen races of the year and maybe just go back and and, and go over some of what were some talking points maybe not all the, the the stories are included here but these are 10 stories or or talking points that I thought really stood out for me in the first half of the year and if you want to add to, to the conversation by, by all means do so send me a tweet at scudria f1 pod or send me an email at scudria f1 pod at gmail.com so in no particular order but we're going to start with mercedes because they've been <laughs> making the headlines for all the right or wrong uh, reasons if you're not a Mercedes fan, but still, it's been another dominant year for the Silver Arrows. And let's start right at the top. Let's start with our number one talking point, and that is number 44, Lewis Hamilton, still on track for world championship number six and it really has been an impressive start to the year for uh, Lewis he's won eight out of 12 races his lowest uh, classification this year was at the German Grand Prix at Hockenheim a couple of weeks ago but that was a wet and crazy and completely bizarre race and uh, whoever expects to see Lewis Hamilton uh, have an excursion off the track certainly I don't and I'm sure none of you do either but so 
what with the the crazy rain and and, and everything that went on there Lewis went off not once but twice and uh, eventually brought it home in ninth but still Lewis is way out in front and this is basically all but a formality now over the remaining uh, races starting at Belgium and then wrapping up at Abu Dhabi he has 250 points and that is miles ahead of his teammate um, Valtteri Bottas who has 188 and Max Verstappen throwing in a really solid performance in the first dozen races of the year with two wins himself we'll talk about Max in a minute and he has 181 points but can anybody really catch Lewis apart from that uh, really bizarre German Grand Prix I mean ninth is an outlier and then Austria was another bit of an off weekend uh, for Lewis where he came fifth the rest of the time his lowest uh, classification his lowest finish of the year was uh, was second which uh, he recorded twice in Austria uh, sorry not in Austria but in Australia and also in uh, Azerbaijan and uh, it is uh, still impressive to see what Lewis Hamilton is uh, is doing and he can really throw it down and uh, really do some impressive things whenever hammer time is the the order of the day certainly we saw that at the Hungarian Grand Prix just uh, the the other week at the at the end of the race when he went in for an unplanned second pit stop put on the soft tires and then just uh, really took huge chunks out of Max Verstappen's uh, what was it 20 second lead or whatever it was and he's been absolutely dominant uh, at times this year and uh, provided some uh, really exciting moments and he really is making a good case uh, to uh, really knock down more of these uh, outstanding records uh, that that he uh, wants to maybe uh, put a claim to. The big one, of course, will be that uh, seventh uh, world championship. And uh, if he can get the fifth, sorry, the sixth uh, this year, then he's only got uh, Michael Schumacher to catch. And once you get to seven, you got to think Lewis is going to want to go and get eight. And, uh, well, it certainly is within the the realm of possibility. And uh, if he can stay on top of uh, the form that he's been able to deliver almost like clockwork year in, year out, and uh, have a a good car, and who's to say that if he stays with Mercedes, and, of course, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't Mercedes deliver a car? I mean, a good car, that is, because uh, since the dawn of the turbo hybrid era here in Formula 1 way back in 2014, it's been all Mercedes. It really has been no one else, and what they have done over the past several years has been absolutely astonishing. Anyways, moving on to point number two, Mercedes dominant again. So this is a little bit of a continuation of the first uh, talking point, but if you look at uh, what's happened this year, out of 10, sorry, 12 races so far, Mercedes have won 10. So Eight for Lewis, two for Valtteri Bottas, and the remaining two have been won by Max Verstappen. And really, it has been... They've been a class of their own at times, and just they've been uh, untouchable. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's been a bit of a vacuum in the, uh, in the, in the order, in the power rankings, whatever you want to call them in Formula 1. Ferrari have not been able to deliver a good car this year in the SF90. They just have not been able to stay competitive and stay with uh, stay with Mercedes. And they've been on a decline, and they've just been dropping further and further back, slowly but surely, ever since uh, about this time last year. Because if you remember, when we went into the summer break last year, it was pretty much a dead heat uh, between Sebastian Vettel of Ferrari and Lewis Hamilton at, uh, at Mercedes. But... Since uh, sadly, since the the untimely death of uh, Sergio Marchionne, uh, whatever impact that may have had on Ferrari, it's uh, it certainly has been 
I would say a benchmark, a, a milestone moment, because unfortunately around it in that time, whether or not that had a direct effect on the Formula One team or not, it did coincide with a slow decline. And it, it really has, uh, like I say, created a bit of a vacuum in the power rankings in the order of Formula One. Red Bull and Honda have been able to step up uh, in a little ways. But in the, in the meantime, with nobody to challenge them, it's been all Mercedes. And it was quite ominous right from the very first uh, race of the year if you want to call it that, but <laughs> you had Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas uh, just racing away in uh, in Australia, and actually it was Valtteri Bottas who uh, was uh, that much quicker than Lewis Hamilton, which was uh, quite impressive, and uh, they just uh, went through switching uh, back between the first uh, the first uh, five races of the year. It was either one or the other winning those races. Uh, Bottas won uh, two races in Australia and Azerbaijan, and then uh, Lewis winning in Bahrain, China, Spain, Montreal, Canada, France, Great Britain, and Hungary. <laughs> but certainly through those first uh, five races of the year, it was uh, it was really just between the two of them. The the only difference being there when uh, by the time Formula One got to Canada, it was uh, Sebastian Vettel who managed to split the silver arrows and of course we've had that uh, discussion here on the show whether or not that was a, a just um, a time penalty that was uh, awarded to Sebastian Vettel and that's a kind of a side I mean at the end of the day Lewis was given the the, the checkered flag there after it was all said and done as he got uh, again a Paul Ricard and then of course in Great Britain and Hungary and uh, well if you look at the the, the constructors um, championship Mercedes just miles and miles ahead, uh, 438 points in the constructors, 288 for Ferrari in second place, and Red Bull slowly but surely uh, creeping up, uh, thanks mostly uh, to Max Verstappen uh, with uh, 244 points combined between himself and his former partner Pierre Gasly. And uh, you have to wonder whether if uh, Gasly would have been able to step it up in the first dozen races of the year, uh, had uh, Red Bull been able to overtake Ferrari. But that's a, a bit of a different take. Anyways, again, we look. Uh, it, it looks almost a certainty that uh, that for, uh, sorry Mercedes are going to be odds-on favorites to win both the drivers' and constructors' championship uh, this year. What with these uh, the, the leads that uh, Lewis Hamilton and the team uh, have in both the championships. It would have to be a meltdown of uh, monumental proportions, and honestly, I don't think anyone would seriously see that uh, happening to a team that has uh, got such a massive budget, a talent, and dedication, the desire to win as uh, Mercedes. I don't think uh, any of us uh, can see that happening. Okay, the third talking point is the emergence of Charles Leclerc as a, a very, very good top Formula One driver, but Ferrari have struggled. Okay, I think we all knew in the debut that we saw last year with Charles Leclerc at uh, at Salber Alfa Romeo, or whatever they called themselves last year, and now uh, uh, Alfa Romeo this year. But anyways, Charles did an excellent job in his debut season in Formula One, and uh, really uh, being uh, promoted, because I mean, basically Alfa or Salber as it was last year is uh, a Ferrari feeder team, uh, having uh, Ferrari engines, and uh, there have been some uh, people with uh, senior people or people with a very senior time ties uh, to Ferrari or have worked at Ferrari have found their way to Sauber or Alfa Romeo over the past uh, year or two. And of course, Kimi Raikkonen is, uh, is a driver there this year after several years at Ferrari and a couple of
couple of stints, and of course won his one and only world championship at the Scuderia. But uh, yeah, it uh, it really has been a continuation of what was a very impressive uh, rookie campaign from uh, from Charles. He currently sits uh, fifth in the world championship with 132 points, which is uh, basically double uh, Pierre uh, Gasly, who currently sits uh, sixth. So I mean. <clears throat> Excuse me, a, a bit of work uh, for Charles to do. I mean, he's uh, slowly but surely uh, catching uh, Sebastian Vettel. I mean, he's had uh, a number of podiums. He's had uh, four third places. He's had a second place and only a, a couple of retirements. One was in Germany. And, well, I mean, after all the retirements that we saw from different drivers for different reasons, mostly because of accidents, uh, Charles uh, was not uh, in, in uh, solitary. Uh, or he wasn't all, all alone, I should say. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, uh, he did uh, put it off the track, but so did Bottas, so did Lewis Hamilton, uh, so did a number of other guys. And uh, the other one that he had was uh, was in uh, Monaco, his home race, which was just a, a miserable, miserable time. But I mean, we've seen some good races from him. Uh, we have uh, seen a little bit of uh, unfortunate uh, team orders, uh, which was uh, evident right from the very uh, start of the year when uh, he was clearly quicker than Sebastian Vettel in uh, in Melbourne at the Australian Grand Prix, but. Uh, just had to, to hold station, ended up uh, coming home fifth. Looked like he was odds-on going to win in Bahrain the, at the next race, but an unfortunate uh, problem that he had uh, with the engine late in the race really cost him the, his shot at victory there. He ended up uh, fitting on the, or finishing on the podium, and that was one of those uh, disappointing uh, weekends of Ferrari because um, uh, Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel, uh, they had a, a bit of a battle going on there. Sebastian came off worse for that and then had a bit of a problem with his wing which uh, his I'm sorry his front wing which uh, managed to shake itself off of the car by the time he got back uh, to the pits and uh, it was points lost Sebastian ended up uh, finishing fifth and Charles only hanging on to third position in that one due to the fact that there was a very late uh, safety car because both the um, uh, cars of uh, Nico Hulkenberg and Danny Ricardo, the two uh, Renaults expired almost at the exact same moment late in the race, which was absolutely crazy. (laughs) I think unprecedented, but what we've seen from Charles, I think is, uh, is impressive what he's done. I mean, obviously the number of podiums that uh, he has, I mean, in, in a race, he hasn't actually finished lower than fifth. So, I mean, that's what you would expect. I think, I mean, he's uh, pretty close to his teammate and the number of points. So, I mean, uh, Ferrari doing sitting very nicely in the world championship in the, in the constructor side, I should say, but we've seen at times, we've seen some issues that maybe you might expect from uh, from a younger driver and i think that uh, the perfect example of uh, of that was the the crash that he had in q2 in azerbaijan when he put it into the wall just in that really tight narrow twisty section at the uh, at the castle there and i think uh, charles himself even from that time said something over the ra- the radio to the effect of uh, i'm so stupid a little bit hard on himself but uh, obviously there is a lot of room to go or grow and i, I think that uh, we've seen just the the the, the raw pace and the talent uh, that that Charles have or has and I think it really is a shame the the, the fact that uh, the SF90 just is not as competitive as preseason testing uh, really suggested and it, it's been a real disappointment uh, once uh, we we've gotten to uh, to racing right from from day 1 this low downforce model sure it's great and it's fast in a straight line but in the, you know when you need the downforce and when you need the grip going through the corners it just uh, is not on a par 
with uh, probably even the Red Bull, which is going to be its next closest competitor. And obviously, it's uh, at arm's length uh, from the Mercedes. And, uh, and it was really evident in uh, in Hungary a couple of weeks ago that uh, you had uh, Max and Lewis uh, scrapping it out at the front, Hungary being a perfect track to kind of level uh, some of the performance advantage that uh, Mercedes has and uh, over the other teams. And it was a pretty good battle between Max and Lewis. But the, the, the Ferraris just uh, so much uh, further behind. And uh, I thought it was a good result for Sebastian Vettel. And basically that was due to the, uh, the, the strategy that he had for a second pit stop and having newer, fresher, softer tires than his teammate uh, Charles Leclerc was able to pass him late in the race. But certainly a very, very disappointing 2019 so far for Ferrari. And the question has to be, before we go into break here, will Ferrari win a race in 2019? They've had some uh, opportunities and they've had one taken away from them, as uh, we talked about with Sebastian Vettel in Canada. But based on what we've seen so far, (laughs) it's uh, a great question. I honestly can't say. And based on what we've seen, probably not. Anyways, time for a quick break here on Scuderia F1. And we're going to just step away from a brief word from our sponsor. So please don't go away. We'll be back in just one moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Media Network. We're counting down 10 of our top 10 stories of the Formula One season so far. So we counted down the top three so far in the uh, the, the first segment of the show. So we're going to go on to the next uh, batch here. And we're going to, I've entitled this one, Red Bull plus Max plus Honda equals future title winners, question mark. And sure, why not? And I think it was very interesting uh, the the way that this whole, uh, I guess you could call it a saga, because the the, the way that uh, Red Bull made the decision in 2018 to switch from uh, Renault Power to Honda for 2019 was, in effect, a saga. It went on for a very, very long time. And Horner was very, very critical about uh, the the, the Renault engines and the power and the, the deficit that they had basically going back all the way to 2014. I mean, they were dominant pre-turbo hybrid era and uh, winning a number of uh, world championships and constructors championships. I mean, Sebastian Vettel winning four championships as a, as a, uh, as a, a Red Bull driver. And it just 
has not uh, or did not work for them in the uh, in the turbo era. They were clearly behind uh, Mercedes, but mostly everybody else was. But uh, really became uh, apparent that uh, they were behind uh, even Ferrari as well. As uh, Ferrari slowly but surely uh, got better and better and better, because you always know that uh, the the Red Bull is going to have a good car. They're going to have a good chassis. They have uh, one of the best uh, guys in the history of Formula One in the in, in Adrian Newey. So you know that the design of the car is going to be solid you know that the car is going to handle well so it really was i think quite frustrating uh, for them that uh, all the success that they had pre-turbo hybrid era just wasn't uh, there the, the performance and the power wasn't there in the new era and christian horner was very vocal and outspoken about that uh, for well a good number of years basically to the point that uh, that last year before they made the switch and even afterwards that surreal uh, abitabul the uh, the team principal and uh, the, the the head honcho at Renault said that basically Christian had been complaining so much that uh, they'd all completely tuned him out. But of course, having the benefit of um, the whole bizarre uh, split scenario that you had with uh, with uh, McLaren and Honda and, uh, and and trying to keep Honda in F1 and the whole switch of Renault engines to, to McLaren and then uh, Honda power to Toro Rosso with uh, even uh, at, uh, Sauber being mentioned in the mix at one point um, uh, for getting Honda engines, which uh, of course never happened. It really was uh, an interesting uh, situation to watch uh, unfold that uh, you had Honda engines in uh, Red Bull's junior team in Toro Rosso. Uh, yeah, sorry, Honda engines in Toro Rosso, Renault's in the Red Bull team themselves, and basically having a good portion of the 2018 season to really evaluate the the, the two and the try before you buy because they made the announcement in uh, in June, right, right around the time of the Canadian Grand Prix, that they were going to switch to, to Honda uh, Power for 2019 and it was a big step uh, it, it was a big announcement and, and Honda obviously struggled quite a bit in the, those first several years back in Formula One uh, with uh, with McLaren we'll talk a little bit about uh, McLaren in a few minutes here but uh, they they had lots of issues and I thought it was a, a big gamble both for Red Bull and also for Honda and, and Honda to their credit uh, said that they were going to make sure and do their best that um, for 2019 that Red Bull were going to be or basically give them the performance and, and the reliability that, uh, that they would have had had they stuck with uh, with Renault engines. And I think uh, despite the struggles that uh, Pierre Gasly has had, uh, you know, Max has had a pretty good season. He made the the, the claim earlier this spring that he felt that uh, that Honda and uh, and Red Bull would be in the position roughly in the summertime to uh, contend and win races. And I thought it was, a, I thought it was, a, I wouldn't say an outright boast, but I thought it was an interesting claim and an assertion for Max because he seemed uh, pretty confident. And, uh, and, and pretty secure in the fact, and they've delivered. It was uh, impressive what, uh, what what Max did he, in in Austria to win that race. I mean, he was uh, in that final half of the race, second half of the race. He clearly had uh, the, the best package uh, out of everybody on the track, and the way that uh, he made the the Mercedes and the Ferraris look like they were standing uh, still, and the way he barged his way through uh, Charles Leclerc to go on and to win that race uh, was something else. But that really uh, leads the question: is that or it leads into the question, are they on the same uh, level that they were last year with Renault? I think that uh, we can honestly say yes at this point. If anything, they might be a little bit ahead, even though they've only got uh, two races to to their name. But certainly, I think that uh, the, the, the the teamwork and the synergy that uh, Red Bull and Honda have designing the car and the engine to work together and really fit together as, a, as, as one package uh, really is a, a smart way to do it. And it really seems to be a, a partnership that 
that's uh, working well. And I think getting these couple of wins and and, and Max having the the season that uh, that he's had so far. I mean, he's uh, done very very well. I mean, he hasn't finished lower than fifth. He hasn't retired as well um, at all this year. He's at. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a number of podiums, uh, two wins, a second place, and a couple of thirds, and, uh, well, I mean, a fourths and fifths uh, here and there. I mean, they're, they're all decent results. I mean, and let's not forget that uh, in Monaco, he probably uh, would have uh, finished a little bit higher. I mean, uh, Lewis uh, won that race. Uh, Sebastian Vettel came second, and Valtteri Bottas came third. Max probably would have been on the podium had he not uh, had to uh, serve that five-second time penalty for the little uh, little nudge that he gave Valtteri Bottas as a result of an unsafe release in the pits and the, the, the stewards finding them uh, in, uh, in in contravention, you know, of uh, the, uh, the the safety rules and and uh, judge that it was an unsafe uh, release uh, from from his pits uh, pit stop and, and 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 rightly so, it was a bit dodgy. However, it was exciting to see him try and uh, chase down uh, Max or sorry uh, Lewis Hamilton, and uh, he never did uh, get by, even though he had uh, one serious look. But it really looks to me that if, if Honda uh, can continue on the uh, on the uh, trajectory that they are and continue to develop and uh, and get better and better why not will they be able to close that uh, that gap between themselves and uh, and Mercedes that really is a very good question they've been able to close the gap between themselves and uh, and uh, and Ferrari and Red Bull and uh, Ferrari are a match uh, any any day of the week now any race and uh, it, it's pretty much uh, between them and I mean I think out of uh, Verstappen Vettel and uh, Charles Leclerc yeah, I'm probably going to go with Max Verstappen. He's got all the characteristics uh, that that you want in a, in a guy that's going to be a top uh, uh, driver in Formula One. He's a potential uh, world champion. Uh, whether he'll ever be able to do that, that remains to be seen. But why not? If uh, Red Bull and uh, Honda can continue to do the things that they're doing, why can they not go back to winning uh, world championships? I think it's very, very possible. I mean, the the big question, of course, is whether or not they'll be able to keep Max Verstappen there after 2020 when his contract is up. Uh, Christian Horner seems to feel fairly relaxed about it at the moment. Of course, uh, that can change. And, uh, well, I mean, if uh, Mercedes, I mean, I, I, I honestly have a hard time picturing Max uh, wearing the scarlet of the uh, of, of Ferrari, but it could happen. But if uh, either of those two teams drove a dump truck full of m- uh, money up to Max Verstappen's house and put it on his driveway, anything can happen. I mean, it is professional sports. It is the top tier of motor racing in the world. There's a lot of money involved. And, and who knows if another team comes in and makes a play and, and gets Max Verstappen to, to, to go and drive for them. It, uh, it's not beyond the, the realm of possibility, but uh, just like it's not beyond the realm of possibility that uh, he could stay with uh, with Red Bull and do uh, important things uh, and, and big things uh, there as well with Honda Power. So I guess uh, the, the best thing that we could say is uh, watch this space and, uh, and see uh, what happens over the next couple of years. Anyways, moving on to number five. Renault are going nowhere fast. And this is kind of, uh, I could have done 5 and 5A, but uh, this is going to lead into a second uh, discussion. But after finishing fourth in the World Championship last year, they are currently languishing in the bottom half of the Constructors' Championship with 39 points. Uh, They've had a couple of uh, races with the double DNFs, uh, Bahrain being one, even though 
Danny Ricardo and Nico Hulkenberg were both um, eventually classified 17th and 18th because they did uh, end up uh, completing more than uh, 90% of uh, the race. They both uh, retired for various reasons in uh, the crazy uh, German Grand Prix, but Ricardo just... um, not having a very great year and Nico Hulkenberg not really having a great year either. Uh, it's been just a lot of times out of the points, uh, not uh, making it through uh, the various rounds of uh, qualifying. And honestly, I have to admit, I've really disappointed uh, to see the lack of progress with, uh, with Renault over the past, I would say, the 18 to 24 months and I think obviously when they came back into Formula One uh, a couple of years ago after they uh, uh, took over Lotus that uh, of course the first year back it was going to be a Lotus with a, a Renault paint job and a Renault badge on the nose I mean then that, that was obvious I mean they, they came in pretty late in the in the winter in the off season to uh, to, to make that deal and and get back into Formula One so that was a bit of a foregone conclusion that it was just going to be a rebadged rebranded Lotus. And I really thought that you would see some progressive steps forward slowly but surely and and sort of kind of we 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 did. I mean, they kind of went from the the, the back of the pack, the the lower uh, you know, realms of the Formula 1 grid and have kind of climbed their way up to mid-table and that's pretty much where they stayed. I mean, last year they had their moments, but this year, I mean, it's just been really really uh disappointing to watch and see where they've uh, been. I mean, if you look at uh in the uh, in the drivers championship right now Nico Hulkenberg uh in 14th i mean his best uh, his best finish so far uh he's managed uh, managed to get a 7th place on uh, two occasions and then uh, you look at Danny Ricardo he's up in 11th i mean Danny's uh, got uh, three retirements uh, to his name uh i mean he's uh, got a whole bunch of really sad looking <laughs> results here and uh R- Ricardo uh his best uh, finish to date with Renault has uh, been a 6th i mean this is a guy that was a regular podium finisher and a race winner over the past couple of years with Red Bull and uh, you know finishing uh, you know four retirements this year his uh, his lowest uh, classification uh, was uh, in Hungary a couple of weeks ago at uh, with uh, 14 points I mean 22 points for, for Danny Ricardo in uh, the, the drivers championship and uh, 17 for Nico Hulkenberg like I say I mean they are now 39 points uh, for the season on in, in the constructors championship and i mean that to me is kind of shocking i mean last year they basically were the best of the rest behind mercedes ferrari and uh, and red bull uh, but this year, I mean, not only are they behind the resurgent McLaren, who currently sit fourth with uh, with 82 points, which is uh, really, really good for what they've uh, done this year. And then uh, they're even uh, fallen behind uh, Toro Rosso, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, Albon, Alexander Albon and uh, Danny Kvyat have had uh, some, some pretty good uh, races this year. I mean, uh, Danny Kvyat getting their uh, first podium in donkey's years in, uh, in, in Germany a couple of weeks ago, of course, uh, aided by the the, the rain, but uh, Kvyat quitting himself uh, pretty good. I mean, uh, he's had a a number of top 10 finishes. I mean, Alexander Albon has had a couple of top 10 uh, finishes as well, but he's also had a number of uh, retirements as well, so that uh, kind of obviously uh, hampers uh, what what he could have done. 
mean, uh, um, uh, Kvyat and Albon currently sitting ninth and 15th in the world championship, uh, respectively. But still, I mean, uh, it's been a decent, um, decent run for them. And to, to be in front of, uh, of Renault, I think is very, very impressive. Alfa Romeo, who sit uh, seventh in the world championship, that's a a bit of a a different story, but I would have thought uh, with uh, the, all the, the, the resources and everything that they have at their disposal, that, uh, that Renault would be much further up in the world championship than they are right now. And anyways, that leads into the next, uh, next question. Did Danny Ricardo make the wrong choice by going to Renault for 2019? We'll talk about this after this brief word from our sponsors. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. We're counting down top 10 stories of the Formula One season so far. And we now move on to item number six. Did Danny Ricardo make the wrong choice by switching to Renault for 2019? And we talked about this briefly before the uh, the, the, the break here. It is uh, basically just an extension of what uh, we were just talking about, uh, Renault. But uh, Ricardo currently sitting in 11th in the world. World Championship on 22 points. This is a guy that uh, has finished in the top uh, six, five or six of the past couple of years as Red Bull drivers, won a number of races. And, uh, well, obviously, unless something extremely bizarre happens uh, in the, uh, the, the latter half of this year, I don't expect uh, to see Danny Ricardo either win a race or be on the podium because... Renault is just that much uh, further behind everyone else, and uh, it really is uh, sad to see. I mean, they've said a whole bunch of things. You know, they have uh, over a 1,000 brake horsepower in the engine. Uh, You know, they've got... They've increased their workforce, all these Im- impressive things that uh, that they keep uh, throwing out there, but it just has not translated into success on the track. And uh, despite some of the assertions, I think that Nico Hulkenberg uh, said earlier that they're not really all that far off being able to put it all together and, and really strings uh, together some results, but yet they uh, continue to struggle. So... I can understand the reason why Danny Ricardo might want wanted to have switched to uh, to Renault from Red Bull. Obviously, Ren, uh, Red Bull, whether they were going to go out and say it or not, is going to be built around Max Verstappen. I mean, as we've talked about a number of times on this program, Max Verstappen just has it. He's quick. He's aggressive, perhaps at times a little bit uh, too much so, but uh, he can really get everything that he needs out of the car and i mean uh, we we've seen him quick in the in in dry conditions extremely quick in uh, in in wet conditions i mean go back to brazil a couple of years ago max was just flying around uh, guys and making them look like they were standing still and passing them on the wet parts of the tra- circuit where you would think that he had no business passing it was absolutely uh, Im- impressive uh, in uh, in uh, at Interlagos back in when was it 2016 2017 it was just uh, it was one for the record books anyways I mean the, the thing was that maybe even if they didn't come out and say that Max was going to be the guy it just uh, obviously was going to be one of those situations even if they went with sort of like a, a driver number 1A and 1B the thing is Max being Max and Ricardo still being a very good uh, Formula 1 driver may have just uh, always felt like he was going to be in Max Verstappen's uh, shadow so I could have seen the reason to go to uh, to Renault and they must have made one hell of a sales pitch to, to, to get him uh, to believe in the project and, and, and switch 
switch over there. But at the same time, I could see it uh, happening because uh, despite all the, uh, the, the the problems and the disappointments that uh, Red Bull had with Renault Power, Ricardo was the one guy that never really came out and said anything critically in in, in public anyways. Um, of course, uh, Christian Horner had, uh, had made uh, lots of uh, negative comments about uh, Renault over the years. And uh, well, if you go back about this time last year at the Hungarian Grand Prix, Max uh, had a frustrating afternoon <laughs> and made a, an expletive-laden tirade over race radio when his uh, Renault engine expired. And uh, Ricardo never burned those bridges. And I have to admit that, uh, as probably many of you uh, did, uh, I, I was com- caught completely off guard and by surprise when he made the announcement that uh, he decided to switch to, to Renault for this year. But at the same time, I, I could see that uh, that the, the logic in doing so, you would expect uh, that it was a team on the rise, you know, the workforce is growing, the budget was growing for 2019. Uh, they're a, a manufacturer who's had success in the sport, both as a, an engine supplier and as an outright manufacturer. I mean, Fernando Alonso won back-to-back world uh, championships uh, driving a Renault back in 2005 and 2006. So, I mean, they have the track record. So, why would you not uh, believe uh, that uh, that it might be contrary? You might uh, believe that it's a sort of a mid to long term project, but uh, they said when they came back into Formula One that this was going to be about you know, a five-year project uh, before that they were back challenging for podiums and perhaps uh, race wins. And well, we're already into that five-year window right now and uh, they, they've regressed since last year and perhaps even uh, as far back as uh, 2017. And obviously Ricardo's not old or over the hill by by any uh, stretch of the imagination. I mean, he's only just uh, turned uh, 30 back on July 1st of the, this year. So, I mean, he's uh, got uh, time and uh, uh, on, on his side. But still, how many years uh, is he going to want to put up with that? And if it doesn't work out with Renault, is there any uh, way back uh, for, for Danny R- Ricardo? Where would he go from there? Would he be able to, uh, to get back into one of the top uh, teams, be it either, well, I mean, uh, I guess you could use that old saying: "You can't, you can never go home." Uh, <laughs> I, I would struggle to see him going back to Red Bull, but I mean, uh, Ricardo being the likable guy that uh, seems to be uh, well liked by his uh, teammates and, and colleagues, I guess it could happen. I mean, it wouldn't be a, a huge surprise to me. But uh, if if that didn't work out, would he be able to? Uh, sweet talk his way into, say, Ferrari or Mercedes at some to- time in the future. I don't know. That's a great question, and that's one we're going to have to uh, keep an eye on over time. Anyways, uh, moving on to the next one, number seven. Did Red Bull Red Bull make a midseason driver change again? And of course, uh, we've seen this uh, happen before back in 2016 after the uh, ill-fated and unlucky Danny Kvyat, who had a really bad knack for driving into the back of Sebastian Vettel uh, a couple of years ago in 2016, was uh, demoted from Red Bull back to uh, Toro Rosso after only a couple of Grand Prix. It was uh, the uh, the incident that he had that he drove into Sebastian Vettel at the start of the uh, Russian Grand Prix at the Sachi Autodrome that year, which uh, basically was the uh, the icing on the cake, and that's uh, what sealed the deal for him, sent him back to Toro Rosso, sent Max Verstappen in the other direction, and it paid off uh, for Max, who won his very first uh, race in Formula One in his debut for Red Bull at the very next Grand Prix at, uh, at Barcelona in Spain. And, uh, well, the rest of the story for Max uh, has kind of been... Uh, 
it made it a no-brainer since then. I mean, what he's done has been absolutely uh, phenomenal, but they've uh, they've struggled this year, and not with Max Verstappen. Max uh, obviously has done uh, very, very well. I mean, uh, currently third in the, uh, the the World Championship with his pair of wins has uh, propelled him out of the, um, the, the uh, say, the outside of the top three into the top three. I mean, he's uh, ahead of Sebastian Vettel on points now in the Drivers' Championship with 181, so he's almost 30 points ahead of Seb in that one, and again uh, Charles Leclerc. I mean, he's had some good uh, duels with uh, with Charles Leclerc. So the thing is that uh, that's disappointing for for Red Bull. I mean, uh, you look, Max has got 181 points, and then you look at his former uh, teammate uh, Pierre Gasly, only uh, 63 points uh, to date, and uh, Pierre Gasly only two retirements on the year. He retired in uh, Azerbaijan, and then also uh, in Germany. He, uh, but that was uh, because uh, he was run into uh, by uh, Alex Albon. He was still classified in four. Because uh, he retired uh, late in the in the race, but if you look at the uh, the the amounts or the the the, the, the uh, places where he's finished in Australia, eleventh and an eighth and a sixth, and then sixth again in Spain and fifth and kind of these mid to low top ten finishes. I mean, he's always been in the top ten apart from uh, from Australia. But he just has has not been able to score enough points consistently enough. I mean, he's done a little bit better since the the the, the French Grand Prix, his home race, in which he finished tenth. Since then, he had a seventh in Austria, a fourth in Great Britain, and then a sixth in Hungary. And of course, the uh, the, the crash in Germany, which uh, ruled him out at the at the end and put him down at fourteenth, uh, like I said. But you would expect that you know that with the with the Red Bull. That you have a good car, one that's capable of uh, of scoring points on a consistent basis, and obviously being over a hundred points uh, behind his teammate and just con- continuing to struggle has just uh, not worked out uh, for uh, Red Bull and also for for P- Pierre Gasly. I also thought that it was an interesting comment because uh, we only had a, several weeks ago, uh, just uh, in back in July, when uh, uh, Dr. Helmut Marco and uh, I believe even Christian Horner were saying that they weren't uh, about to make a mid-season change and and things like that but uh Yet they decided to do just exactly that. So <laughs> Pierre Gasly is out at uh, at Red Bull um, due to the uh, the frustrating performance, and it really got off to a bad start for him because he basically was not able to score. Uh, he didn't get off to a good start, crashing and really uh, destroying his car in um, in preseason testing, and that really limited uh, what they could do as a team for that uh, that test session. And then uh, he's really struggled to find any sort of consistency ever since. And uh, like I said earlier, Dan. Kvyat, who had been uh, demoted the first time, has really had uh, a pretty decent season so far. But if you look at uh, Alexander Albon, who has now um, been promoted to Red Bull for the rest of the season, I I think is an interesting concept. I, I think basically... What uh, Red Bull is doing is they're they're taking a look at which one of the the, the three other drivers that they have in the system right now who will um, partner up uh, next to Max Verstappen uh, next year. So you have Pierre Gasly, you have Danny Kvyat, you have Alexander Albon. So Pierre Gasly has proven through the first uh, dozen uh, races of the year to have uh, been inconsistent and struggle. Danny Kvyat, his um, his previous history uh, aside and the fact that he sat a year out and was a reserve and a simulator driver Ferrari in, in, in 2018, he's a bit of a known quantity because I feel that uh, Danny Kvyat, having that year out, he's come back. He seems to be uh, less of the torpedo, the less of that, uh, that reputation that his nickname uh, suggests. He seems a little bit more focused, a little bit more mature, uh, a 
a little bit of a of a better uh, driver. So I think he's a little bit more of a known quantity. And I really kind of wonder what Danny Kvyat could do uh, now at uh, you know with several years of experience in Formula One and being a little bit older now, being a little bit more mature. Would he be able to do a better job than Pierre Gasly has done? this year and I would argue yes but I mean on the flip side you look at Alexander Albon who's a rookie in uh, Formula One I mean he's got uh, five uh, top 10 finishes uh, so far his best uh, finish so far is a six only uh, one retirement and then uh, he's got uh, half a dozen uh, uh, finishes outside the top 10 but why not you, you know what uh, you've gotten with Gasly I think we all know what to, to expect uh, from from Danny Kvyat and I think uh, at the moment unless uh, Alexander Albon uh, proves otherwise or or they come into uh, a driver, some maybe unexpected situation, somebody to go there for next year, you would have to think that uh, maybe Danny Kvyat is the the, the one that uh, might be favorite to, to take that uh, seat in, in 2019. But I mean, all credit, uh, you know, let's let's not jinx uh, Alexander Albon at, uh, at all. I mean, he's got a great uh, opportunity now to uh, to step up and, and really prove and show what uh, what he's capable of. I mean, obviously, he hasn't been able to do uh, quite as well as, as Danny Kvyat uh, so far as, uh, at Toro Rosso this year. But I mean, the pair of them have done uh, quite good to, uh, to to get the team up into fifth in the world championship and the, the constructors uh, side. And it's a it's a wonderful opportunity. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do at Spa and through the rest of the the, the races as we finish up the uh, the European season, then move on to uh, Asia and then the uh, the Americas, and then uh, finally on to the uh, the finale at uh, Abu Dhabi. So certainly a, a situation to watch. All right, so we're going to just talk now a little bit uh, about uh, McLaren before we start to, to to shut it down. And this has really, I think, been a refreshing. Uh, scenario, a refreshing thing to see from McLaren this year. And it's been painful to watch. I mean, I grew up in an era watching uh, uh, McLaren Honda Power, watching Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost dominating Formula One. Then fast forward to the 90s when they had Mercedes Power and and, and Mika Hakkinen and, and David Coulthard. And uh, I mean, just uh, some wonderful memories. And then even uh, you move into the Kimi Raikkonen era. And then uh, you move into the era with Lewis Hamilton, Jensen Button, and all the, the the great memories and uh, the impressive things that uh, McLaren have done over the years, and then they, they've slowly tailed off, and obviously they've hit rock bottom over the past uh, couple of years, and it really looked like uh, once they they switched to Honda that. I think we all had the expectation based on the history that they had that the, this was going to be the second coming. This was going to be the situation or the, the, the partnership that they needed to get back to the top of Formula One and become a, a contender again. And boy, did that not end well. <laughs> and they had to really uh, pay big bucks to get out of that uh, deal, uh, engine deal with Honda early. I can't remember now if it was $100 million or 100 million pounds, whatever it is. It was a hell of a lot of money that uh, that they spent to, to break that contract early when the at the at the first opportunity, but they did it, and it seems to have worked out better for everyone. Maybe now you look at what uh, what what Honda's done with Red Bull. Maybe uh, there there is maybe I suppose the the possibility that uh, that there might be a little bit of regret or uh, on the McLaren side, but on the other on the other hand. 
that uh, despite all the issues they had, that uh, a lot of things that uh, were said, mostly by Fernando Alonso (laughs) during the time that they were struggling, was that it wasn't the drivers, it wasn't the car, it was just uh, the engine. But subsequently, I think that it was proven that that the cars that they were designing just weren't as good as that uh, that they were saying. And it just wasn't all the drivers, uh, it wasn't all the engine, it wasn't all the chassis, it was all a combination uh, thereof. And I think that uh, they had to uh, face the reality and come to terms with that. And um, and and I think that despite uh, the problems and the struggles that they have had, I think that uh, they've come to terms with that. And I think that uh, despite being sort of an expensive way to do it, is has been a good thing for them. And I think you have to give uh, some props to, uh, to to Zach Brown. I mean, he's he's come in. And I think uh, slowly but surely and quietly, I think that uh, he's done a good job of uh, of assembling a good team there. I mean, out uh, are the likes of Eric Boulier, who was the uh, was the big uh, you know the, the the top gun there for a while, and then slowly he brought in uh, James Key, who was uh, now the the technical director and who was over at Toro Rosso before, and he brought in uh, Jill DeFerrin, of course, uh, is well known here in North America. Uh, for what he did all those years in racing car, or sorry, IndyCar, and he's the sporting director. And then uh, most recently, he brought in Andreas Seidel as, uh, to be the the new team principal, and uh, he's uh, got a very impressive uh, resume in uh, in motor racing, and uh, was most recently the, uh, the the head of the Porsche LMP1 project. And slowly but surely, they've um, they've had a good season, and I I, I was a little bit skeptical. I'll be the first one to admit it when they said last year that they were going to come into 2019 with a driver pairing of Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris. Uh, Carlos, for me, I think he's a good driver, maybe a little bit uh, unproven, maybe uh, uh, some question marks there. I mean, he's still a a fairly young guy. And uh, Lando Norris, uh, again, young driver, uh, unproven quantity. But what they've done so far, I I think, is uh, is fairly impressive. I mean, they're, they're currently in fourth in the world championship uh lando has unfortunately had a number of uh, retirements uh, i mean you look where where he is 10th currently in the driver's uh, championship i mean uh, like i say he's, he's got a number of retirements uh in uh, going back to china to spain to canada in germany but at, at the same time we've seen some impressive things from him i mean we, we see them they're 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 pretty uh, fairly regulars making it through to the the top 10 uh, shootout in Q3. Uh, Norris, I think, uh, really proved what, uh, what he was made of when uh, he had hydraulic issues, I believe it was, at the at the French Grand Prix, and uh, was able to, to, to hang on. And uh, despite, uh, you know, dropping down a, a little bit, uh, he, he, I think he was uh, due much uh, more than the, the, the ninth place that, uh, that he eventually uh, managed to come home with. I mean, he still finished in the top 10, and I think that uh, was a, a really impressive uh, result uh, to still get to you know, get uh, get some points out of it, uh, despite a car that was uh, literally falling apart underneath him. So he's been uh, a a bit of a uh, revelation. I think uh, his 24 points on the season so far, I think uh, that seems about right. But if uh, maybe he had a little bit of luck in some uh, other situations and things have worked out a a little bit different, uh, that uh, he should have uh, some more points in that. I mean, uh, he's uh, had a number of uh, top 10 finishes. I mean, the the, the times that uh, he hasn't retired, um, the, the 
uh, for whatever reason, he only has three points or sorry, three finishes outside the the the, the points. So if he uh, you know the car is uh, reliable, he doesn't have any problems, and the, the odds are that Lando Norris is going to finish in the points. And Science, I think, also has done uh, pretty good as well. I mean, he had a bit of a tough st- start to the year, retired in Australia, retired in Bahrain, and then uh, since then he's uh, only had two uh, finishes outside of the top ten, and his uh, he's had uh, two fifth positions in the last two races in Germany and Hungary, and that was on the back of a sixth and an eighth and another sixth, and um, he's been a pretty uh, pretty regular face in the top ten uh, this season, and I think uh, what they've done is uh, has been a very solid job, and I think it's a really really quite. Uh, important and i think it's good to see mclaren back in uh, in the points more regularly to see them in the top 10 shootout how much work uh, that they have to do now to uh, to get back from kind of the best from the rest and get up to that level of uh, red bull and ferrari and b another uh factor another uh piece of the puzzle uh, in contending for podiums i mean it would be one thing to be challenging red bull and ferrari for a podium it'd be another thing to be challenging for for race wins but we've seen uh, with uh, with red bull this uh, year that if the circumstances are right they have been able to uh, ch- challenge mercedes head on, or heads on so maybe that's a hint of things to come, but certainly I'm not going to put the cart before the horse. Uh, let, let's just uh, give props uh, to McLaren for the job that they've done so far this year. And uh, we look forward to see what they can do for the rest of the season. Anyways, time for one final break and then two more top 10 storylines for this year. And then it's going to be time to shut it down. You're listening to Scootheria F1, the podcast that is always up to speed here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We will be right back. All right. Well, there are finally a couple of last uh, talking points that I wanted to uh, discuss uh, before we wrap it up uh, for this week. And the first one is out with the old and in with the new. And that is uh, just uh, more of a reference of what we're going to see on the calendar in terms of tracks for 2022. They've actually committed for a 22 race schedule, according to uh, Total Wolf uh, team principal at uh, Mercedes, uh, what he was uh, saying uh, a week or two ago when that made news, that 22 seems to be about the limits that uh, that they can logistically handle over the course of an entire season, uh, just in the, the terms of uh, manpower and uh, and everything like that. So it uh, it's going to be great uh, for, from that point of view. I have to admit that last year when we had those three races in three weeks, was at France, Great Britain, and, and Germany, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. I know that it must be a hell of a lot of work for all the people in the teams, for the, uh, the the mechanics, for the logistical people, for the people back in the factory, for the engineers, for the drivers, everyone, to uh, to pull off three races in three weeks, and it's a it's a huge undertaking, and uh, and and kudos to to everyone in Formula One for for pulling that off. But hey, I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderful entertainment. And if you throw it uh, together with uh, with all the things that uh, typically are going on in the sporting world in the summer, anyways, and last year you threw in the uh, the FIFA World Cup. I mean, <laughs> there was not too many moments when I was walking away from from the TV. It was either the World Cup, Formula One, baseball, the Tour de France, you you name it. I mean, there was there was always something to watch, and uh, definitely it was a a, a a a scenario of my cup runneth over. But anyways, I digress. So what I mean about out with the old and in with the new 
you know, there's still the ongoing discussions uh, with some tracks about, uh, you know, who's going to be on the calendar for next year and who's not. I mean, we've heard that uh, that we might lose Spain, we might lose uh, Mexico, we might lose uh, Silverstone. Some of these tracks have uh, firmed up uh, deals. Uh, I thought Mexico was an interesting one because it sounded like uh, that one being so hev- heavily uh, subsidized by government sounded like that uh, that, that was not going to happen. Subsequently, it's been confirmed for 2021. Silverstone has signed a new deal. Spain sounds like uh, that's going to be uh, keep going again. So the only one that's really uh, out there hanging at the moment is, uh, is, is Hockenheim, which has kind of been on again, off again over the past uh, couple of years. And honestly, I... I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of the new Hockenheim. I mean, this year it was uh, it was it was fun to watch, and uh, even last year, uh, to uh, to an extent. I mean, there there were some rain showers, which uh, made it interesting. I mean, certainly not like the uh, the torrential downpour that we had a couple of weeks ago. But to me, it's just not quite the same as the the old Hockenheim. But I, I've been there, not, not for Formula One, for DTM. And while it was great uh, when the cars would come out of the forest into the stadium section, as soon as they went through that right-hander uh, at, at turn one, they'd disappear into the woods for a couple minutes and not come back. So, I mean, if you're in the stands watching it live, not really the the, the, the most exciting thing. I mean, it was a little bit better on uh, on TV. But I guess in this day and age, uh, you know, it uh, it's a safety thing as, as, as much as it is anything else. I just, uh, I'm not a big fan of just the, the layout of the track uh, as it is, but hey, that's uh, just me. But what, what it comes down to uh, for me really is a, a real mix. I think that, uh, and I, I think I've mentioned a number of times on, on the podcast, uh, not just this year, but there has to be a, a good mix of, uh, of tracks. Uh, there has to be the, the historical venues, which uh, Liberty Media say that they're, they're committed to. I mean, Formula One to me is not Formula One without uh, tracks like uh, Silverstone, Spa, Monza, even uh, even a German Grand Prix. I mean, I'm more partial to uh, the Nürburgring, but that's uh, maybe more of an emotional connection that I have uh, because I went to go and watch the uh, the 2001 uh, European Grand Prix, so it's sort of the height of Schumacher mania. Um, other tracks that uh, that I'd love to see included um, are the, the the Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka. More than Fuji, I, I like the, the the layout of Suzuka better. Uh, better. Um, I also like uh, obviously for for personal reasons. The Canadian Grand Prix, I'm a big fan of that. It's always nice to have a, a, a Grand Prix in your own country, albeit a couple thousand miles from where I sit right here. <laughs> it's still good to have. I mean, it's better for Kevin because, I mean, he's literally just, uh, you know, a stone's throw away from Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. Um, but you have to balance it with new tracks, and honestly, I like um, I, I like Azerbaijan at uh, the the Baku City Circuit. It uh, for for street uh, street uh, circuit, I think it had some interesting characteristics. That that uh, tight twisty uh, section around by where the castle is, Charles Leclerc might not like it, uh, but uh, but I sure do. Uh, from from a fan's uh, perspective, I love the long straightaway uh, at start finish. Uh, I think it uh, really makes uh, for some spectacular overtaking. Just uh, watching them fly down there. Uh, I can't remember exactly how long it is. I'm not sure if, I, I think it may be, uh, I know it's one of the longest. I can't remember now if it is the longest straightaway in Formula One. I know it's right up there. But uh, anyways, it's a spectacular bit of track to, to watch. Monaco is an important one, I think, just from a historic point of view. 
but uh, I, I do like to see the inclusion uh, of new tracks. Vietnam is going to be interesting. Certainly would like to see if um, some of these uh, discussions that uh, that they're having sounds like Miami may be starting to come back on the radar again, although it sounds like there are significant uh, issues that uh, that they need to to sort out there to, to pull that one off. I mean, there have been uh, talks about maybe um, a race somewhere in and around London. So I think it's kind of cool. I, I think that there is a balance to be struck between uh, the historic uh, circuits and uh, and newer ones and some of the ones that have uh, popped up uh, along the way, uh, maybe not uh, old and uh, not new, and some that sort of uh, come and then go over the years. So it is interesting uh, as well because, I mean, Liberty said last year that they had something up to, to 40 venues that were interested in uh, in hosting a Grand Prix. And, uh, well, they never really released any names, but uh, it it is, I think, uh, interesting at least to, to see this year that despite some of the um, uh, insecurity or uncertainty around some of these tracks that were coming to the end of their terms, coming to the end of their contracts, are getting deals done and staying on the calendar, and they're able to, to add a race or two here and there. So it'll be interesting to see where they take it and if there will be any uh, other races that uh, drop off either this year or next year and any other new ones uh, that come in. Certainly, I think uh, from from my point of view, it'd be a nice to see another one in, uh, in North America. I love the Circuit of Americas. If they could add another one in Miami, I mean, I know Vegas has been thrown out there. Even New York was thrown out there. I think that uh, the desire and I think the passion uh, and the interest is definitely there in the United States. I mean, hey, look at the uh, the stats for this show. The uh, the amount of listeners that we get, it's majority are, are Americans and uh, in the United States by a, a massive proportion compared to everywhere else. And we, and that's that's awesome. So I think just based on my numbers alone, <laughs> and uh, not that that means anything, but I, I think uh, just uh, joking aside, it would be cool to see a, a second race somewhere in the U.S. And finally, my last talking point of the uh, the evening is What's up with 2021? What is happening one, once the, the Concord Agreement expires at the end of 2020? Nobody really knows. There's been a lot ongoing uh, in terms of discussions for a very, very long time. Things here and there have kind of trickled out, and it sounds like slowly, and let's emphasize the word slowly, that things are starting to get sorted out uh, for uh, the, the the future of Formula One, what it's going to look like in 2021 and beyond, and the sooner the better. It sounds like from the last time I heard that uh, it might get sorted out in the fall, in and around October, so whether or not uh, that happens sooner rather than later, that uh, remains to be seen. But certainly, there are a number of issues that uh, that Formula One need to sort out, and uh, obviously, the one of that is well, the one that we want to see is more competitive, closer, more exciting, and eventful racing, and how they do that, and if they can do that, that uh, that is the sixty-four thousand dollar question, and of course, the whole budget cap, the whole uh, question about uh, you know distribution of uh, of prize money and all that. There are so many uh, things that uh, that need to be uh, taken into consideration. And Formula One being what Formula One is, there's obviously a lot of vested interests. There's obviously a lot of politics. And that's only just my take being on the outside. I mean, that's not even based on any inside information that obviously I don't have. <laughs> but, you know, it is interesting, I think, that, uh, that despite the uh, the uh, well at least on the outside the apparent lack of progress that at least uh, compared to some of the um, situations we've seen over the years that we haven't uh, had anybody outright threatened to quit formula one and, and walk away so at least
least uh, from that point of view, I think it's interesting that um, that at least publicly, you know, all the stakeholders uh, have been um, at least quiet on that front. What's been said behind closed doors is uh, is another thing. And also another thing that remains to be uh, seen is also what uh, they come up with the new rules, the new regulations and everything in and around it. Will that uh, drive more interest? Will it make Formula One a more uh, suitable place to invest as either an engine supplier or as a new manufacturer that uh, that that will be something that uh, we'll have to shake out during the process as well i mean will we see the grid expand beyond 20 teams or sorry 10 teams and 20 cars uh, will we see any new engine suppliers come in will we see any new teams i mean that will of course be sorted out in time and again will the the, the new regulations maybe become unattractive to some of the players uh, that are involved right now and decide that uh, formula one's not a place for them to be and then not a place that they want to either supply engines or or operate and run a team and uh, decide to fold their tent and go home. Anyways, guys, that was just a small selection of some of the stories that have kind of been on my mind over the recent uh, days and weeks and over the first uh, several months of the, the 2019 Formula One World Championship. And it's no by no means complete or exhausted or, uh, com- uh, you know, the the uh i suppose the uh authoritative version i guess that's the word i'm looking for <laughs> anyways like i say if you have any other points uh, that uh, that you think that uh, or other stories that uh, should have been included let me know love to hear from you guys so it's good to hear from other formula 1 fans you can do so by sending me a tweet at scuderia f1 on the twitters and you can also send us an email at scuderia f1 pod at gmail.com and thank you all very much uh, for listening really appreciate it Re- appreciate the reviews and ratings we get on apple podcasts and elsewhere it really means a lot to us and it helps grow the show so it really is important and that's it that's a wrap enjoy the rest of the formula one summer break we'll be back this time next week and until then thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you again soon ciao for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. 